As we've been talking about, Philippians is uh, what many call the epistle of biblical joy. Uh, gosh, there's 13 or 14 direct and indirect references to, to the joy of the Lord. And tonight we're going to look at one of the most common or the most well-known passages of Scripture in Philippians 4. Uh, but uh, just want to kind of bring you up to date before we even jump into the uh, into the the context of Philippians 4 tonight. Uh, if you kind of can uh, remember uh, kind of what Paul's M.O. was, this this epistle was really two purposes, but he weaves this this theme of joy into these two purposes. The first pur- purpose of the letter was to thank them to thank the church in Philippi for their generosity. They were great givers uh, to Paul in his time of need. And we'll see that tonight in, in Philippians 4, uh, where he said, you gave and, and you've, you've, you've lacked opportunity recently, but now you're back at that generous c- capacity. And we looked in uh, Acts where, where it says they gave out of their needs. They gave a liberal gift. It was like a sacrificial gift. How many of you know uh, Jesus blesses the sacrificial gift? You know, a lot of people give out of their abundance. uh, But uh, when you give out of your need and when you give a sacrificial gift, it's it's as though God uh, is obligated toward you. Remember the little woman who gave the two, two mites? She gave all she had. Others were giving out of their abundance. She gave all she had. And so... Uh, that's what was going on with the, the Philippians. They were very generous towards Paul, and he's writing this letter, thanking them for their generosity. And number two, he's writing to correct in a very loving way, as we'll see tonight, uh, some disunity in the church. How many of you know there's nothing new under the sun? Uh, and so he, he, he addresses that again. But when you read this letter, you realize uh, that... Undoubtedly, the church in Philippi was Paul's favorite. He loved these people. And I don't have time to go back. He loved, how many of you know we love everybody, right? But anybody have any favorite people you love? All right, sure we do. Jesus had the same kind of pecking order in his life. He loves everybody, but he had John was his best friend. And then uh, Peter and James, and then then the 12, then the 70, and then the masses. So so uh, we all have people in our life who we that are special to us. And and the church at Philippi was special to Paul. And uh, again, if you go back and read chapter 1 and, and 2, you'll realize that. So that's the purpose of the this letter, that twofold purpose. But the theme of it is joy. Uh, in fact, uh, I kind of broke it down for you this way last time we were together. The first two chapters... He's modeling joy for them because where is Paul when he writes this letter? He's in prison. He's been in prison for four years and, uh, and he's, he's modeling joy for them. And so as he's writing, it's just joy in his heart. There's no, there's no sorrow. There's no sadness. There's no depression. He's just, he's just excited. In fact, he said, my circumstances in, in prison have actually turned out for, for good. And so he just got the, the, he's, he got it going on with his joy. And then when you get over close to the end or the middle part of chapter two, he kind of encouraged them, rejoice with me. Everybody say, rejoice with me. And then when he gets to chapter three, he begins, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. 
And it's almost like he's saying, here, I'm, I'm going to model it for you. I want you to follow along with me and let's rejoice together. And now chapter three, hey, uh, just, just do it on your own in a sense. Come on, you've got to, you've got to follow my lead and become a people who regardless of the circumstances have a joy on the inside. And we've made this statement every, uh, every night we've talked about uh, joy. Biblical joy has absolutely nothing to do with your temporary or external circumstances. Am I right? It has nothing to do with it. And so with that in mind, uh, we're going to look in chapter four in a moment, but kind of let me remind you of a, of a quote, uh, from John MacArthur about biblical joy. He said this, it's the settled conviction that God sovereignly controls the events of life for the believer's good and his glory. You know, when you get that kind of conviction in your heart, it doesn't matter what's going on around you, right? It doesn't matter what the circumstances, because you have a settled conviction. Everybody say settled conviction. Let me just tell you, when you struggle in the joy with your joy quotient, there's some convictions that have not been settled. There's some circumstances of life that have not been submitted to the sovereignty of God and his control in our life. Let's read this definition together. Kind of swallow it a little tonight. Here we go. The, out loud and proud. Here we go. The settled conviction that God sovereignly controls the events of life for the believer's good and for his ultimate glory. We see that operating in Paul when he's in prison. He said, it's not only for, it's not only working out for my good because man, I'm preaching to the prison guards and, and, and God's working through me even in prison. But hey, it's for God, God's getting glory. His ultimate glory is being made manifest in and through. In fact, how many of you know he can get glory through any kind of circumstances? Amen. So when you get some things settled, Biblical joy begins to rise in your life. When you begin to settle on, in fact, uh, I'm just kind of hitting and, and some of the high points of where we've been. Uh, biblical joy has its root in our position in Christ Jesus. What does it say? Rejoice where? In the Lord. Everyone say in the Lord. And there that little big word is in, which means a fixed position. We see that word in uh, uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 3. Rejoice in Christ Jesus uh, to the saints uh, in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. And so this joy finds its root and finds its life in the settled conviction of who we are and where we are in Christ. In fact, Paul he, he was so heavenly minded, even in his latter days, he said, I'd rather depart and be with Christ. But to be here with you is more needful and, 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 and will provide fruit uh, for you. And so he was, his settled conviction was, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm on my way out of here. I, this, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Amen. And so the more you get that in your mind and in your heart and it gets settled in you, the joy quotient begins to rise. And so in reality, the church in Philippi, they were going through persecutions as well. Uh, and so they needed this joy factor in their life. They needed to embrace biblical joy. And so tonight we want to continue to do that. That's just kind of a, a shotgun spread of where we've been. Tonight I want to begin by reading Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to, re uh, I'm going to read down to verse 9. Uh, 
I may read the whole thing. Let's see. I got plenty of time. Here we go. Just follow along if you, uh, if you can. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren. You see, I told you he likes these guys. My beloved longed for brethren. My joy and crown. So stand fast, stand fast. There's that in the Lord, in the Lord, beloved. Uh, in fact, last time we were here, last Wednesday night, I said that really to me needs to be verse 22. Uh, of this letter of chapter three. Uh, it's like kind of like a conclusion of that thought process. But hey, Paul didn't put the verses there. Man did. I just think that would probably fit better as a conclusion uh, of chapter three rather than an introduction to chapter four, because chapter four addresses this uh, uh, turmoil a little bit in the church. He says, I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind where at? In the Lord. Everyone say in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And here's the key verse that, hey, if you've been around much at all, in fact, we used to sing this as a, what do you call it, a, a round, you know, like... The guys that go, rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. And then another group, rejoice. And so rejoice, rejoice is a big, is that what you call singing in rounds or something like that? We did that. I mean, we, we had all kinds of exciting worship time and when I was growing up. But this, this verse stuck in my head uh, as a young Christian back in the early 70s. And he said, rejoice in the Lord when? Always. Again, I will say what? Rejoice. Then he says, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw uh, in me, these do. Everyone say, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. He's, he's commending them for their generosity again. He says, and then he goes on, I know how to be abased. And he says, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Come right in. Uh, and then he says this, and you've probably heard this before. I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me. Everyone say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he says, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now, you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. See, he, these were the only ones in his time of need who, who came to his aid. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Let me just stop and say, you know, when you want to help somebody financially in, in these days, you didn't fax it to them. You couldn't, there was no PayPal. There was no check. You couldn't deposit it in there. There's no Bank of America. You sent somebody 
to bring it to them. And that's what uh, Epaphroditus did in their behalf. Uh, and you just think about it. They, nobody else took the time, energy, and effort. Man, it takes effort to give to somebody in another city, another area. you got to gather it up and you got to send it uh, through uh, someone carrying it to them. And that's what they did. Uh, he said, for even in Thessalonica, you send aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. He's commending them. He's thanking them. He's not just thanking them, but he's commending them for their faith and their sacrifice. He says, man, I'm not seeking the gift. I'm just excited about how it's going to abound to your account. You you invested in my life, and it and it lifted up your spiritual account. A, a checkbook account, if you will, bank account with God. And then he says in verse 19, uh, and a lot of people quote this verse, uh, but they don't put it in the context of sacrificial giving. Most people quote this and expect God's blessings just to flow. But if you're not a giver, this doesn't work for you. The conditions is you you know how to give. You're a blesser. You you give to uh, and you give sacrificially. And he said, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And then he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And everybody said, amen. amen. So there's chapter four. And man, it's just chock full of healthy uh, 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 insight and instruction. I want to begin tonight out of the first two, or, or really verse four and five. I want to make some declarations about biblical joy. I just want to make some statements about biblical joy in just a moment. And let me just say, uh, when you read uh, verse 4 and 5, when he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, uh, the word rejoice is a, really, if you think about it, it's an expression of something that's on the inside, right? Well, you have joy. Everybody say, I have joy. But, it, but it's, but rejoicing is an external expression of an inward understanding. And that's, let me just say, when you get an inward understanding or what we call the settled convictions in your heart and things begin to settle up on who you are in Christ and, and, and you're seated with Christ in heavenly places and that you're on your way to heaven from Beaumont, Texas and, and, and he is Lord of all, uh, in your life and some things start getting settled in you. These inward, uh, revelations of life, these, these, uh, foundational, uh, uh, principles of life that just set up residence in you, it, it will undoubtedly be expressed externally. Am I right? Now, let me just give one illustration. Can you imagine uh, getting married on your wedding day and everybody, I, I don't want to be too graphic here, but man, you, you've got this love in your heart for one another and you get married and you go to, on your honeymoon and guys, wouldn't this be great if your wife just looked at you and said, I'm just going to love you in my heart. There's no need for any external expression 
for this internal knowing that I love you. How many of you know that's going to create some problems pretty quick? Because the nature of, 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 of God and the nature of love, it always expresses itself externally. So everyone say rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And I see people, I've heard this before, you know, well, I don't know about all this, you know, singing and shouting and all this stuff. That, that sounds kind of whacked out to me. Listen, if you found out today you won the Powerball, I'm not a proponent one way or the other. There is a chance you will win if you buy a ticket. It's not very, I, I just saw, by the way, some guy won two, he's won twice. He, he recently won two million dollar slots. I thought, man, these guys have all the luck. Uh, but let me just ask you, if you won the Powerball and became a gazillionaire, a lot of money. Ray, would you just go, well, hallelujah. <laughs> And they'd be shouting, dancing, celebrating, kill the fatted calf, you know, whoo, we're buying, everybody gets caddies, whatever you do, uh, you know, life is good. There's cel- and when, when revelation comes that, that is of benefit to you, it will always be expressed externally. Amen. So for people who say they love Jesus, but they look like they've been baptized in pickle juice, I'm going, hello, I don't know if I believe you or not. There's no external expression. Okay, so with that in mind, let me make some, uh, make some statements about biblical joy from verse 4 and 5. The first one is this. Biblical joy is a command. It's a command. In fact, this, this rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say re, rejoice, uh, is, it's not a suggestion. It's in the, it's in the positive command form. It's not in a, it's not a, in a, a, a negative form. It's in a positive command form. In fact, uh, it, the command of God upon people who have experienced the saving grace of God is to express that in, in the world. Look at the first century church. When they got filled with the Holy Spirit uh, and they got the joy, joy, joy in their soul, what did they do? They went out uh, from behind the four walls of the upper room and began to express that joy publicly. Amen. You see, joy, biblical joy, is not here just to get you through the day. It's here to, to be an open expression of God's blessing in your life, and it's the command form. Amen. And so, biblical joy is a command. It's not a suggestion. God's people, uh, it, it should be a natural response, but uh, it, it's a command form. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Number two... Biblical joy is to be continual. It's not seasonal, it's continual. Because what does he say? Rejoice in the Lord, how often? Always. It should be, in fact, the, 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 the way this reads here, it's, it's what you call a present imperative, which calls believers, this rejoice in the Lord always, calls believers to a continual, habitual practice of rejoicing. Some people are seasonal rejoicers based upon not who they are in Christ, but what Christ has provided for them. We rejoice because of his 
presence with a T rather than his presence with a C. You get it? If you get it, look at your neighbor and say, I got it. How about you? And so what Paul is trying to say to these guys, it, it affirms it all over again. He's saying now, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Listen, it is not based upon your ex- external uh, circumstances in life. It cannot be seasonal. It cannot be sporadic. The biblical joy, it's the command form for those who understand who they are in Christ. And it ought to be a continual flow moving through your life, not a seasonal thing. Amen. Having you no know, bi- biblical joy ought to cir- uh, uh, circumvent the circumstances, if you will, or, the, or the, the feelings and emotions of life. So biblical joy is a command, and biblical joy should be continual. And I think this is inferred from, from this verse 4 as well. Biblical joy is a daily choice. We have to choose. It doesn't come natural when the adverse circumstances of life come our way, does it? I mean, when you have a flat tire or uh, the washer goes out or the dryer goes out. Hey, let me just ask, anybody had anything busted? Uh, do anything busted? Have you anything break busted? Uh, you got something busted, something busted, broke? I mean, uh, you know, does that just give you the warm fuzzies all over when something breaks? I, I got a tune-up on my truck. Now that, we're, we're talking tuna. $775. Baloney, I thought. But I learned why. Uh, you know, and I, I, that didn't make me rejoice over that. It, it wasn't, but you know what? You rejoice through those things. You choose to rejoice. Amen? It's a choice. And, and for, for all of us, if, we be, if this becomes habitual, the choice becomes easier day by day. But it's still a choice. You know, every day we wake up, life is a choice. Am I going, am I going to serve him or am I going to serve myself? Am I going to be a rejoicer? And Paul's saying, listen, you know, if we had a neon light, you know, this letter, you know, it might have been the last communique ever to him. Flash, flash, flash. Listen, I know the circumstances are not optimum for a happy life and a rejoice, rejoicing life. You just have to realize that it must be continual and you must daily choose to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Do you get his heart feet? I mean, you, you got to get, what did he start this chapter with? Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, man, he's telling, he's telling the, the secrets of, 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 of the kingdom to his special friends. You got to rejoice. Amen. In fact, we got to be careful. How many of you know we, when someone suffers, you know, when someone hurts, we hurt with them, right? We, we grieve with those. We mourn with those who mourn. I get all that. Uh, I realize all that. But you know what? You can go out of bounds with that. Have you ever been in a crowd of people where everybody's trying to one-up each other on the wrong side of life? Man, how's your day going? Oh, man, not so good. In fact, man, it's bad. And then what's the next guy say? That ain't nothing. Let me tell you about my mother-in-law. Woo. Oh, that ain't nothing. You ain't met my father-in-law. Woo. You ain't met my husband. No, it's not husband. You ain't met my old man. Woo. 
I mean, and you one up each other on the wrong side of life. And, and you know what? If we're not careful in our in, in the kingdom, when someone's we, we, someone's mourning, we mourn with them, sure. But then there comes a moment when you get to that. You say, now let's just thank him in the middle of this. Let's and and you lead others. Through. That's what Paul's doing right here. Hey, listen, I know that life is tough, but you can't stay there. You can't let the circumstances of life. So you got to make the choice. Everybody say it's a choice. It's not a feeling or emotion. It's a choice. Have you ever had to just choose to love somebody? Well, sure you have. Have you ever had to choose? Just say, I'm going to love them. I don't feel, you know, I've always said this. I don't, I don't know about you, but you know, it didn't take too many days after I was married to, to wake up and not have a warm, fuzzy feeling and look at my wife, God, I love you, baby. I didn't do that this morning. In fact, I get up way early. I miss my, we're like, our clocks are like two hours off. I'm, uh, and so, you know, it's, it's a choice. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's, I love my wife, but it's not always a feeling or emotion because if it's just a feeling or emotion, it's based and it, and it rises and falls based upon my feelings or my emotions. Are you with me? Say amen. Hallelujah. Uh, and, and this link brings me to statement number four, biblical joy is a challenge. It is a challenge. And that's why I think he re- the repetition of this directive here in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. What he's, and, and the context of him being in prison affirms that, that we know this, this choice of biblical joy in the face of adversity uh, uh, produced challenges in their life. That would challenge them not to rejoice. In fact, I, I wrote this kind of in the side notes this afternoon. Their circumstances challenge their convictions. Let me give you an illustration. My dear friend Dave Bell, two years ago, May 4th or 5th on a Sunday morning, while I'm up here preaching, and really it happened before church ever started, my dear friend has five sons, a wonderful wife, and a great church in San Antonio, Texas, walks into his office under some real stress of life on a Sunday morning, sits down in his chair in his office, puts his coffee and his Bible down, and does this and go straight to heaven. Left five great sons. Now, this man's a man of faith. His church is a faith church. They believe in healing. And they believe in the supernatural. And, and, and Dave's sons knelt over him trying to do CPR on him and, and speak faith over him and, and raise him from the dead. Now, do you get the picture of that right there? These boys were traumatized. And as they began to process this, what we realized was, is, is their convictions were challenged by their circumstances. And I'd try to talk them through some things, and, and they're doing great, doing much better now. But 
you know, I would say, well, you just have to trust God. Well, well, Pastor Sam, I was trusting him on Sunday morning when he was laying there in his office. I believed God was going to raise him from the dead. So you can't just tell me to trust him. Wow. So understand some, understand this about that and about this, this, this rejoicing is a challenge. Hey, the, your circumstances at some time or another in your life will always challenge your convictions on the inside. And let me tell you something. You've got to come to the place where you realize my circumstances are not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And though my circumstances don't seem, seem to be lining up with what I believe uh, should be uh, where they should be, I'm going to, yes, trust God and rejoice in the Lord always. It is a challenge. Look at your neighbor and say, it's a challenge. He's trying to get them to understand that. It's a challenge. And then statement number five, biblical joy is comforting. Now, this is what I alluded to just a few moments ago. But look what he says in verse 5. Right after he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. After he just mentioned one more time, we need to deal with, and I'm going to go back and talk about verse uh, 2 and 3 in a minute. Uh, uh, After he talks about this need to get this... uh, this disunity dealt with. And then he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He says, let your gentleness be known to all men for the, the Lord is at hand. Now that word gentleness, the Greek there, it is a pretty power packed word. In fact, there's not a lot of English words that translate this word well. So with that in mind, I don't know if this is in your notes or not. It, it's uh, my translation uh, let your gentleness, I think one translation says your forbearance. Uh, it's a gracious, patient, gentle, merciful uh, mindset and action towards those who may have offended or wronged or towards maybe go back up to these two women who are having unity issues. Hey, and, and what he's saying here is, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let me tell you something, that lifestyle of rejoicing reflects itself in your capacity to be gracious and patient and gentle and merciful towards those that need that. And so when you begin to operate in biblical joy, it becomes very comforting to those around you. Listen, it's contagious. When, when the joy of the Lord comes on you, it comes with a whole big bag of the character of Christ because you are in Him and you become a comfort and a, and a, a gracious uh, peacemaker and merciful person in people's life. And so the joy, like I said earlier, I said alluded to earlier, biblical joy is not to just get you through your jam. It's to, it's to help others get through their jam. Amen? Are you with me? Say amen. So it's comforting. Now, let me give you one more statement about biblical joy. And then we're going to talk about maintaining a spirit of biblical joy. Biblical joy, uh, it's celestial uh, you've heard the hymns, that, that great celestial ball, speaking of uh, the sun or heaven or whatever. The word celestial means belonging or relating to heaven. 
Now, we've talked about this in a different context, but he hits it again here. Remember, put them together. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness, forbearance uh, be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, uh, there's some differentiation among some theologians as to the meaning of this. But um, a lot of them, most of them believe it's a reference to the return uh, of Jesus Christ to planet Earth. And Paul the Apostle lived his life and taught us to live our lives like this could be the dawning of that grand and glorious day. Jesus taught us the same thing. Lift up your heads, your redemption draweth nigh. He talked about the real realization that, that eternity is upon us. Now, listen carefully. I'm going to re- review for you. Uh, and, and here's, let me just say, I think I told you this story a couple of Wednesday nights ago. Our culture, Christian culture, is out of contact with the understanding of eternity. We are totally disconnected from the reality of eternity. And one of my pastoral unctions on me right now is to shake people into the reality And how many times have you heard me say this over the last year or so? Planet Earth's the shortest amount of time you'll ever live anywhere. So why are we giving, why are we putting all our eggs in, in a temporary circumstance? In fact, what did Jesus say? He he said, man, you gotta lay up treasures where? In heaven. It's not about Earth. It's about eternity. And, And that, my friend, is where Paul the Apostle tapped into this joy because he knew this is all temporary. And he had a a celestial understanding of eternity. And and, uh, he said, the Lord is at hand. Biblical joy finds its root and reliance. Within what I'll call for the sake of the C word here, a celestial consciousness or a heavenly perspective. Biblical joy is all about eternity. It's all about who we are in him and where we're going one day. Amen. Hey, that's what Paul was all about. That's why it didn't bother him to be in prison. He said, hey, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. He said, I'd rather go, uh, I'd rather go to heaven. Amen. He said, that Christ may be glorified or magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. It doesn't matter to me because if I know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen. Oh, death, where is your sting? Man, he was, woo, he was out there in, in, in his eternal celestial consciousness knowing, man, I'm, and, and what did we talk about? Hey, let, let's back up here. Let's go back to verse 20 of chapter three. For our sin, he, verse 19, these ungodly people, there's, they set their mind on earthly things. And let me just say, the, the American church is not far off of the descriptive of, 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 
of who Paul was talking about, these dogs, these, these mutilators, back in chapter 3, he said that the whole purpose, they've just got their mind set on earthly things. Now, let me just say to you, I, I, like I said Sunday, I'm getting too old and cranky to, to be too sweet anymore. Listen, we got to get our mind off earthly things and get them on the reality. He said, our citizenship is in heaven. We're just pilgrims. We're just uh, wayfaring strangers on this old cruel world that we live in. We're on our way. So biblical joy is about eternity. It is celestial. Amen. That's where it has its root. I think this is finds, finds its root and its reliance within a celestial consciousness. So everybody say amen. Now, I love my life. I love my family. God's blessed me. But that's not the source of biblical joy. We gotta, we've, we've got to lift the lid, if you will, of insight and, and heavenly perspective. In fact, I'm pondering uh, right now, beginning the new year, with an emphasis on eternity. Somehow, some way. Um, so... Because we've got to snap out of it. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got to snap out of it. We can't set our mind. We spend all our time and energy. Now, I'm, I'm not being critiquing here because I'm not saying we shouldn't plan. I'm not saying we should, you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying we should be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. But it's all about eternity. And, and we spend all our time, energy, and effort trying to get this planet Earth just the way we want it. And it'll never be the way we want it. We spend most of our prayer time <laughs> asking God to make us comfortable. I mean, y'all are excited about heaven, I can tell. <laughs> Am I right? Am I right? Okay. Uh, so we've, we've got to snap out of it. So with that in mind tonight, I want to I give you... Um, uh, I want to give you some thoughts about maintaining a, a spirit of biblical joy from this chapter four. Uh, and so here we go. Are you ready? Can you handle it? Uh, I see four things here. There's probably more, but four thoughts about maintaining a spirit of biblical joy. Uh, and um, the first one is this, and we'll jump back up to verse two and three. Uh, you've got to, you do so by maintaining a healthy community. Uh, speaking of the relationships within the local church. And he's addressing that here in verse 2 and verse 3. And, and notice that I'm going to show you some words, some of which I'll, uh, uh, about uh, some, some, some serious words about this issue. He said this, I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. How many of you know that word implore is a pretty stout word? I don't know the Greek there, but it, it, it's a stout word. It's not suggestion. It's a serious word. I implore you. Uh, you would, how many of you would agree that that's, that's, that's a pretty, pretty strong word? You know, we probably got, uh, other words that we would use, but if, uh, if you use, I implore you to take out the trash. That doesn't mean whenever you want and however you want. It's an, it's an imperative. And so he says, I implore. In other words, this is serious. And basically, when you connect it with verse four, healthy community provides the capacity to rejoice in the Lord always. 
You don't have healthy community, you got issues. So you want to maintain biblical joy, uh, maintain a healthy community. And he got, and then he says, I urge you. How many of you know that's a strong word? That word urge is pleading, begging, and encouraging mode. He's, he's, he's serious about this issue of disunity among these two ladies. Now, let me say these two ladies were founding members of the church. They were not wackos from the fringes. They were core leaders who had developed some real issues that, let me just say, let me say this from a pastoral perspective. Fringe people who cause problems are one thing. You get core people within the local church got button heads with one another, it's urge you. It's to, it's implore you, urge you. This is serious business because it people on the fringe, everybody got all those just fringe people, they're just whacked, right? But you get you get core people button heads with one another, that's an issue that affect can affect the future of the family, the future of the community. So he says, I urge you. And then he says this, just for by the way of knowledge, he says, I urge you, uh, true companion, help these women who labored with me. Now, the, the phrase true companion, uh, it's really an interesting, it looks like the no-name guy, the true companion. He's talking to, but that's, that's really not true because he's naming names here, right? He's, he's naming names and people to help. And really, most theologians believe that Paul's using a play on words here, that the guy he's talking to, in fact, the word companion means yoke fellow. Uh, and most theologians believe that this guy's name was yoke fellow. And so he's using a play on words. He's a true yoke fellow. It's, it's not just his name. He really is what his name says. You get the picture? I just thought I'd throw that out for you. So, so he calls him by name. In fact, the, the Greek word there, I can't even say it. Let's see. It's, uh, Sugos, S-U-Z-O-G-O-S means yoke fella. So it's really probably a guy's name. So just thought I'd throw that out. And what does he tell? What does he urge true companion to do? Help these women. Everybody say help these women. Now, this word help, it's a stout one too. It means to seize, arrest, or capture. Now, what's he saying? This disunity among these two ladies? You gotta seize this situation. You gotta capture this. You gotta, you gotta arrest this problem. How many of you know? There's certain things you gotta arrest or they will just explode. And, and, and this kind of thing is like a cancer. And we see, right? This is probably the, the, the most serious word, verse in this whole book, right? In this whole letter here. He uses strong words, urge, implore, urge, and help. It's not just, hey, and that word help is not, oh, come on, ladies, let's, let's work this out. He said, you better seize this thing. You're my true companion. You really are a yoke fella. If you're my real yoke fella, you better, you better get a handle on this. You better help them. Are you with me? Say amen. And here's another interesting thing. He says, about these women, he's not critiquing. He is not antagonistic. 
Look what he said. And this, hey, this ought to be the heart of all of us. How many of you know when people get cross-haired, uh, our, 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 uh, or we get cross-haired with somebody, uh, all kinds of things come to the top. Now, Paul could have got all cross-haired in his thinking, but he says this, you said, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. Now, these are people who were founding members of the church, two ladies, and this labored with me. Here's the real phrase. They fought alongside me. They just, they just weren't cooking, baking cookies for the church fellowship. <laughs> they were warring. Uh, how many of you know there was some issues in Philippi with demons and religious people? And he said, these ladies, they were fighting right alongside me. These are tough cookies. These are ladies that labored with me. They fought alongside me. These people are worthy of getting fixed. Seize them. Seize this situation. So, Hey, maintaining biblical joy is a community issue. It's a family affair. Amen? Break, break it down to your family. You got, a, you got a sour attitude in the bunch? Better seize it. You got to, hey, put it, in, put it in a secular culture, in, in a leadership group. You got a sour puss in the bunch? You better seize it. You got a bad apple in the bunch? You better seize it. You better deal with it uh, because uh, you'll do more than lose your joy. You might get sucked in and lose your job. Hello. Okay, I, that was free. All right. So maintaining a, a spirit of biblical joy, maintain a healthy community. Number two, maintain a healthy prayer life. You got to be, you maintain your joy by maintaining a healthy prayer life. Look in verse six and seven. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, uh, this is awesome. Uh, fill in these blanks. Uh, a healthy prayer life is a worry-free prayer life. It's faith-filled. It's free of worry. It's a refusal to worry. Uh, listen, worry pours gasoline on the fires of dis- disbelief and, and, and doubt and fear in your life. You cannot worry. Look at your neighbor and say, you cannot worry. You get, you pray. When you pray, you're not a prayer worrier. You're a prayer warrior, right? Uh, and so, uh, a healthy prayer life is a worry-free life. And it's also all-encompassing. Meaning, uh, your prayer life covers everything. How many of you know, you ought to pray about everything if you can? I mean, and I, I'm not talking about, should I get the name brand or the generic? You, I don't, I'm not... We're talking about things that make eternal differences, right? Things that are important to God and to you. Uh, you know, I've seen some people pray about, like, in fact, I bought the generic Splenda. Lord, help me, Jesus. I don't know if my wife can handle it or not. Uh, I said, it's the same exact thing, baby. Don't worry about it. Saved a buck and a quarter. It's not a big, I didn't have to pray about that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, pray. he says, uh, be anxious for nothing. That means don't worry about anything, but in everything. 
By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's all encompassing. Listen, what Paul's saying is, hey, you plug into prayer about everything of significance in your world, in your life, in the kingdom of God, especially about these circumstances with uh, these women that you've got to arrest and you've got to seize this attitude of discontent. Uh, you've got to pray over this thing and you cover everything. You cover it in prayer. And, and in fact, man, I... I, this uh, leadership uh, uh, conference that I've gone to the last two years, uh, Gerald Brooks, he says this, it gets me every time. He says this, he says, your prayer time must always outweigh your pulpit time. Don't dare get up and talk for God until you've talked to God. If you want to talk for God, you better at least to talk to God as much as you talk for God. This, today on the way up here, I realized, oh, Jesus, man, I realized, I studied a lot today, but my prayer life was not just slamming and blowing and going. Uh, and listen carefully. You want to maintain biblical joy in your life and in your family? You just build a healthy prayer life. It's seasoned, always should be seasoned with thanksgiving. And everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Uh, and let me just say this, a healthy prayer life provides a peace-filled, protective hedge over our hearts and minds, which as a result compounds the joy quotient in our life. Look what he said. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Everybody say amen. Number three, uh, if you want to maintain a spirit of biblical joy, maintain a healthy thought life. Who would have thunk that? Verse eight. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report. If there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate, think, ponder these things. Somebody say amen. And understand this, the word meditate, it's, again, it's in the command form. And righteous thinking is not an option for the Christian. It's not optional. What does Proverbs 23, 7 say? It's not in your notes. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Meditate, it's more than just entertaining thoughts. It means to evaluate, consider or calculate. When's the last time you thought before you spoke? Like Robert Morris, I was listening to one of his messages on the tongue. He said, there's different categories. Some people think before they speak. Some people think while they speak. And some people think after they speak. And then the last one, they just, some people just never think before or after they speak. And so a healthy thought life is imperative to maintaining biblical joy because how many of you know the battle's won between the two floppy things on each side of your head? It's won or lost by our thoughts. And I have some other scriptures, but we'll move on. Number four, uh, if you want to maintain a spirit of biblical joy, you got to maintain a healthy discipleship life. 
Look what he says in verse 9 after he says, you got to think right. Then he says, the things which you, which you learned and received. Now, in other words, it's not just heart, head knowledge. You got some heart knowledge here, right? You learned it, but you received it. You began to apply it. You began to appropriate it. You heard it and you saw it modeled in me. What's he say? These do. Everyone say these do. In other words, you've got to keep walking this thing out. You've got to keep doing it. You, it's not, it's not seasonal. Obedience to the directive of God in your life and to a healthy, uh, walk with God is not a seasonal thing. It's got to be a lifestyle of discipleship in your life. If you want to stay happy, you got to stay holy. If you want to stay full of joy, you got to stay focused on the journey of becoming just like Christ. Disciple, you got to maintain a healthy discipleship life these do the things you learned and received and heard and saw in me these do follow after the follow the leader for goodness sake all right now let me give you four words that reveal Paul's discipleship life that ought to be reflected in our life as well no the first one is this commitment that verse nine, that, that verse nine, these do. Spiritual growth and discipleship is not optional. There's got to be a commitment level. Listen, you're going to maintain a healthy discipleship life. There's got to be a commitment level that says, this is what I'm going to do. This is who I am. This is not the divine suggestion. This is not something that I do, uh, you know, as the wind blows, but this is something I'm committed to. I'm going to, I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to study the word. I'm going to follow after the directives of God. I'm committed. I'm all in. I'm not, uh, uh, milk toast, jelly spine, weak need. I'm, I'm whole hog. I'm all in. I'm I'm a follower of Christ and the things that I've heard and that I've received and that I've seen and that I've saw, I'm applying them in my life. I'm committed. Everybody say amen. amen. That's a sign of a healthy discipleship life. The next one is contentment. He said, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. He talks about that in verse 11 and 12. I've learned in whatever state to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere in all things I've learned, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm content. I'm not un- discontented. I'm content. My, uh, my external circumstances do not affect my contentment. This is what, this is a sign of a healthy disciple. He knows there's up, up days and down days. He knows that in this world there'll be tribulation. He knows that, that everything's not going to be hungry. Dory Chevrolet and apple pie and whippee all through life. Uh, he knows that 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 there's going to be heartache, heartbreak, and, and all those things. But he's still content in who he is in Christ, and he knows how. Hey, if it's good, hallelujah. If it's bad, hallelujah. I know, however state I am, I'm going to be content. This is just who I am because I'm a follower of Christ, not a follower of my circumstances. Jesus is Lord, and not my trouble. Amen. And then number three, a sign of a, of a healthy discipleship life is the connection that you have with Christ. Look in verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
He's got a connection. He's got a spiritual lifeline. He's got a spiritual uh, uh, pipeline to the strength and the power and the provision of God in his life. That's what a healthy disciple looks like. He's plugged in. He's, he's wired up. He's not disconnected. He's connected to the power and the presence of God. And he knows he can do all things through Christ. And that's the fourth thing, the sign of a healthy discipleship life. It's a, it's a confidence in who they are in Christ Jesus. He said, I can do all all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a confidence in Christ. Amen. Four great signs of a healthy discipleship life. Throw that last one up there, Ike. Is it there? There it comes. And then finally, a healthy lifestyle of discipleship invokes God's peaceful presence in our lives. And he says, what does he say? Uh, when he talks about the peace of God in verse 9, these things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Man, if you took these four thoughts and began to seek after a committed life, a contented life, a connected life, and a confident life, you know where you'd have to find yourself in the middle of? Following Jesus on a daily basis. And you know what you'd discover in your life? Biblical joy and the peace of God which passes all understanding. Amen. Amen. Everybody say amen. amen. Wow. The epistle of joy. Let's stand together.